0: Our study today is from Ezra, it's Ezra chapters 4, 5 and 6 bearing Ezra chapter 7 in mind and I mention that because there's a bit of a um, a seeming problem between two of the kings that the Artaxerxes of Ezra chapter 4, the um, king of the Medes and the Persians, Um, is the king who stops the temple. King Darius is the king who allows the temple to begin again. And then Artaxerxes sends Ezra with the new uh, batch of rebuilders to rebuild not just the temple, but the walls of Jerusalem itself. So how can King Artaxerxes come before Darius and then after Darius at the same time? There are various explanations for this, and I don't really uh, want to go into that. Partly because my own mind is not made up. There is a ancient thought that um, Artaxerxes and Darius are, are one and the same. So the Artaxerxes who uh, responds to the people in um, Ezra chapter six is the same. At, is uh, the, that's King Darius? Well, is the same as King At. Artaxerxes, who sends Ezra and Nehemiah latterly to rebuild um, the walls of Jerusalem. Well, if I can avoid the controversy, um, if I can in a cowardly way steer us away from uh, trying either to um, dig up a paradox or Explain away a paradox, both of which seem to be dangerous to me. Can I comment on, on what is there? What is there in the passages in Ezra chapter four, five, and six? And that means that um, there's quite a lot of reading uh, for this week. Three chapters of the Bible, and they cover some twenty odd years. So, the uh, the the basic narrative is that um, the people around about Jerusalem, who were the tribes that you might call the Samaritans, came to the Jews who were rebuilding the temple. Remember, after two years, uh, the Jewish people started to rebuild the temple. And then these friends come up and say, can we help you? The Jews say, in no way. This is a job that God sent us to do and we're going to do it. Thank you. And their friends become their enemies because they start to discourage them and to mock them and to criticise them and to use the power of uh, the king against them. And the king actually orders the uh, rebuilding of the temple to be stopped. Now that takes us up to uh, Ezra chapter 5. But in Ezra chapter 5... The rebuilding starts again. Two prophets, Haggai and uh Zechariah. They speak to the people, and they pretty much say, What are you waiting for? Get on with it. And uh, and and so the people do. And when they start again, there's obviously a changeover of king. And a changeover of uh, the sort of regional imperial governor. And he writes off to say, King, is this right? They're telling us this story. Can you verify it? And actually, King Darius um, looks in the uh, library of uh, Ectabana in, in Media, or Media. and uh, And he finds Cyrus's letter. Let's remember one thing, shall we? Oh, 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 and sorry. And in in finding that letter, he confirms that the building should go ahead. Let's confirm one thing, shall we? Ezra is a scribe, and he's writing down in as much detail as he possibly can by his own research and knowledge. The the characters and the times, and the things that were said, and in particular, the letters that were written that confirm the account. What we do know is that after 20-some years, after the initial um, return to Jerusalem, the temple is built, and then subsequently Jerusalem is rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt let's think about this then you have to be a bit sorry for the Jews they were sent to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem by one king Cyrus and then they were told to stop building and that's what they did it seems like the work of God's command was on and then it was off again one step forward two steps back can you imagine living in such times being so dependent on different uh, commands of the government impossible to think that isn't it well for sure what changes the landscape for the Jews is the opposition of the people Around about them and it's good as Christians that we understand that opposition comes from different quarters has a different effect but somehow that through it all God's faithfulness shows itself and this isn't just wishful thinking but this is a reality this is a reality for the Jewish people at the time and I believe it's a reality for us today yes we are um, We are under the rule of uh, of people who don't necessarily follow God's commands, but that doesn't stop God's command from happening. Firstly, this is because um, our help doesn't come from people who call themselves our friends. So, I'm going to look at when is a friend not a friend, when is an enemy or an opponent not an enemy. And then draw some conclusions from that. Ezra chapter 4. People around Jerusalem were, as I said, they were the mixed tribes who were sent back actually from the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had taken away the ten tribes much earlier than the tribes of Judah and Levi were taken away from Jerusalem. And they were dispersed all over the place. And instead of them... There were peoples from all over the uh, Middle Eastern world, from as far as um, from as far as Babylon, uh, Assyria, um, and 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 other parts of the northern tribes. They were pretty much sent back to Israel to uh, to repopulate it. Of these, there were some who acted like friends to the Jewish builders. Let's build with you, they said. This is in Ezra chapter 4. And that in itself wasn't really a bad thing. God had approved Lebanese workmanship for the original temple, um, but certainly Lebanese goods for the second temple. Um, He'd approved services from people who were not uh, native Jews. And, uh, and Cyrus himself wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. So it wasn't that God is a racist. He, he'd always employed foreigners in his service. David's, uh, one of David's right-hand men. Uh, Uriah was a Hittite from one of the local tribes. So God didn't hate foreigners. But he had a special job for his people. And he had a special reason for that job. We understand why God doesn't want just anybody to lay hands on his temple. When we realize that these Samaritans, these pretend friends, were saying, oh, we've been sacrificing to this God. All this time. And this is what fixes it really, isn't it? They leave out an important expression that Ezra keeps on going back to according to the instructions of god remember when they started the temple or restarted the foundations of the temple it was according to the instructions of god when they um uh when when they uh, talked about rebuilding or when cyrus was writing about this he talked about according to the instructions of god because the plans and the intentions And the motivations came from God. They came from the worship of God. Now, God is the planner and the instigator of his own worship. He's clear about this. He doesn't accept imitations. And these people round about were saying, oh yeah, we we worship God. Of course we do. Well, a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, uh, there was a big scandal because companies were making a lot of money out of... uh, handbags that they said were you know the real the real thing they were fake copies of famous makes now the workmanship was okay the materials were reasonable but there was no genuine care or quality control about them uh, not like the original and so they actually damaged the reputation of the product they were fake God requires genuine worship, not fake worship, not made up worship, not imitation worship. He can't abide it when people try to dilute his name with fake worship. It's led to all kinds of evil in this world. People were burning their children in the name of God. People were making little gods to hang up in their houses in the name of God. They were making calves to worship in the name of God. They were making sacrifices In all the wrong places in the name of God. How can you know the true God if you make a substitute of who he is? The temple was the genuine product and it was the product of obedience to God's instructions. They said to the people, you can have no part with us in building a house of our God. We alone must build it. And that was brave, wasn't it? These were small and powerless people. Didn't they need help? Were they just too proud to refuse it? Well, in no way. God plans his projects. He resources them. He controls the mission and goals. He will have the glory and he will not share it. The people of God who refuse to accept help. They're not being proud. They're humbly saying, this is God's work for God's glory to be done in God's way. And that's all. The temple in Jerusalem was supposed to be the real thing. Not for fake worship. Not for anyone just to say, oh yeah, all roads lead to Rome. This is, you know, call him by any name. It's the same God. Of course, this was not true, it ne- it never is true, and it never will be. Look at the start of any false religion. You'll find that a lot have links with Christianity, but they dilute out something out of the, the Christian gospel, the Christian message, Christian truth. They just dilute one part away, and it becomes Christianity minus. It becomes about moral behaviour, or about a, theology, a theological system. When somebody comes along and says, look, we all follow the same God because we all have the same morals. They sound convincing. But we follow at our peril. Because Christianity isn't just about a system of morals. About Christian thinking. It's about worship. Worship of a living God. Who wants to share himself with us. Not just in a set of rules. But from within. By his own Holy Spirit. And his own power. And according to his word. That's why we have to be disciplined. In reading the Bible. We have to be disciplined. We have to discipline our minds. By the way that way. Nobody can. Take over our thoughts by saying, Oh, yeah, but have you thought about this? Because we take it to the instructions of God Himself. Well, the people who seem to be friends, they're just greedy for power and control. And when they find they're not going to get influence on the temple, they begin to use discouragement and fear and frustration to thwart the plans of the people. And they also write to the new king to tell on the Jews to complain and to Uh, hide behind power and the king is half a world away and he's just begun his reign and he doesn't really understand what's happening but he does understand one thing if there's no taxation from Jerusalem they cannot build and so he stops it that's when friends are not friends when they become the opposition and so we have to be smart as Christians about who we let in uh, who we work with and the conditions under which we will work With others so that we know God's in it he's faithful to it well the work stops for 18 years how much patience do we need to see his work in our lives but after 18 years amazing things happen the Jews listen to the prophets so God sends the prophets two of them Haggai says be strong What are you doing? You've neglected the work of God. No wonder there's a drought in your land. Get on with the rebuilding. And they listen and they do it according to God's plan. And Zechariah comes and says, from now on, the priest will be king. So, Jeshua, get your crown on, get cleaned up. You are to be the king of the people, a priestly king. Interestingly enough, the people start with judges as, as their, their rulers, or prophets, judges and prophets being the same thing. Then they move on to kings, and now they're on to priests. But here is the priest-king in the city of the original priest-king, remember Melchizedek. And in 500 or 480 years' time, there is going to be a prophet, priest, and king, all rolled into one Jesus who is the ruler forever and Zechariah actually demotes Zerubbabel who's the governor now he's a descendant of David and he's in the royal line of David and is noted as such in the lineage of Jesus Jesus is in his line but he doesn't make him the ruler Zechariah the prophet says, This is what God says. You're to, you're, to, you're to place the capstone on the temple, the final bit of the temple, where everybody will look up and worship God and say, Hallelujah, hallelujah, that things are built. He's to be a stonemason. And then God God says to Zerubbabel, through Zechariah, these great words, not by military might, nor by political power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he tells him, who despises the day of small things? In both these ways, the prophet gives us an understanding of God that outlasts the building and the temple and the history of the people and of time itself. And the people follow the prophet's. Maybe that's the first time or one of the notable times in Jewish history where they actually listen to the word of God through the prophets and they start building again. And then things go differently because the new governor, Tatanai, this uh, this, um, imperial governor writes to Darius, but instead of stopping or discouraging the people, and so he's the opponent of the people. But he does it in the right way. He says, Darius, can you just check this for me? Because they say Cyrus made a decree about this. And Darius checks the records. And he finds that the building has been decreed. And it is allowed and it's not to stop during this time. And Tatnai obeys the king to the letter. Paying for the work with local taxes. And that is such a change, such a fulfilment. It has the mark of God all over it. Now we read that the king's heart is in the hands of God. He directs it like a water course. There are parts of the world where farmers share water and they use gates and dams to direct water from one field to another. The Bible teaches us that even rulers are directed like this by God. And so we need to pray for our rulers. They may seem to be opposition. And for sure, sometimes they do stand up and oppose the work of God. But they're not always the enemy. God directs the heart of rulers. And in the book of Ezra, there's a king who stops the work. He's an opponent. And there's a king who encourages the work and provides for it gloriously with all the materials and taxes and so on and so forth. The impact is large. So, when is a friend not a friend? Well, when they don't seek the best, the will of God. They don't do things according to what God tells us. And when is an enemy or an opponent? When is an enemy not an enemy? Well, when he or she allows God to direct his or her heart like a watercourse, And in doing so, heaps blessing on the people of God. Because we are weak. And we do need to get some breaks along the way. And there is a great blessing in a ruler who follows God and who blesses God's people. And so the work continues. It's paid for. The local government officials are really strict in helping the work to happen, even though they didn't like it at first. And the temple is built under Darius's direction but to the glory of God, because it seems like an impossibility. And after so many years, how could the people believe, except that they do and they carry on and they listen to the voice of God in the prophets. And this leads to celebration, to thanksgiving, to a festival, the festival of unleavened bread, which will remind the people that God delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh and into their own land. And so the city of Jerusalem rings out with joy. Another reminder that what God asks us to do leads to pleasure, to fulfilment, to thanksgiving, to happiness. And we need to keep that in mind in our stop-start work of the gospel. So building might take years. There might be opposition along the way. Those who seem friendly might not be our friends. Our rulers may not fully understand God's will, but he can use them for his glory. That's about it, isn't it? Amen.